Welcome back to another episode of the Huntington with the Lake Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith. Joining me today is my co-host, Greg Sowards. Hey, buddy. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Today marks our 42nd episode of the podcast. The number 42 has some obvious significance in the Major League Baseball community due to Jackie Robinson. Robinson, wow, a legend in that community, does not have any great significance in wiffle ball due to his most of his playing was before the sport even existed, obviously. This episode will carry some gravity nonetheless as we will be discussing a long-awaited topic, one that I've been asked about countless times. When are you guys going to be bringing the league back? We finally do have a plan in place about how to bring the league back from its now four-year hiatus. So Greg and I are going to be going over that in some detail with you guys. But before we dive into that, a brief recap on how our Greek Wifology team did in the 2022 Amy for Africa tournament in Asheville, Kentucky, when we come back from this break. Africa held their annual tournament on a hot August Saturday last month, and Greek mythology did not miss it. It was our sixth consecutive appearance, with the exception for the tournament being canceled in 2020 due to COVID-19. Remember that? I do. The organizers did a wonderful job, as expected, at least to me, and the fields were in tip-top shape, and the tournament ran smoothly. My only complaint, it was by far the hottest tournament I've ever participated in my my life. Dear Apollo, was it hot. We ultimately fell just short of securing a semifinal spot. I'm not entirely sure if that is our worst performance uh, at this tournament in our history. Certainly not our best. It's it's our worst in recent memory anyway. Uh, We typically at least get to the semifinals. 
from my recollection. There were a couple of limiting factors. The heat, as I just mentioned, and then there were a couple of lengthy rest periods that sort of got us, I don't want to say cold, but I'll just say tight. That sound fair, Greg? The heat just just sapped us. We were getting locked up during those long rest periods waiting for the next game. Uh, and that just killed us. When you only have two fields, that's just part of it. I would like to see the, them to set up a third field on the side property. They they used to have a bounce house or, or something like that and some other stuff on that property in the past, but this year they didn't have that. It was just vacant. So And it's flat enough. So if they plan to repeat the same setup plans next year with no changes, I would like to see a third field set up to increase the pace of, of play and and everything. Not really a complaint, just a suggestion. Uh, that, that proposed field would be slightly uphill, but would just be more of a quirk, nothing major. It was a, a great time, and we look forward to next year, uh, as always. Overall, the team performed much better than in London, which I, I don't know what else to say. I think just doing anything uh, there would have been probably a better performance than how we did in London. Uh, it is a different format, of course, but London was the first time some of us had played in a couple of years, and we took the opportunity to warm up prior to the Amy for Africa tournament as well to prevent any further embarrassment. Now, having gone over that, uh, I know that's more of a comprehensive grazing of that. Greg, uh, do you have any further thoughts uh, or comments on, on everything? Uh, just the same thing you said. The, the layover sucked, uh, but it's part of the tournament style i mean there's so many teams there which is great mm. they're great teams a third field i think would help but you also have to factor in like eyes on the field as far as umpires if they have that those people committed to be able to do that um i'm sure they do because there's so many people committed to making that tournament great and they mm. do an excellent job totally I, they don't have a whole lot that they work with property wise when you really like you get a, a really good overview when you're when you're first driving up to it, and you're just like, "There's some people that run tournaments, and it's just like, of course it's good." Uh, when you when you look at it like, well, they have these resources, or they have this spot, or they have you know this or that, but this is just like it's a simple lot <laughs> at an intersection from a food fair and a Dollar General and a Giovanni's Pizzeria, hey, and at a red light and. Uh, I, I got to tell you, it, it, it's humble. It's it's my favorite non-home place to play. And I, I kind of get a bit grumbly uh, and annoyed when I play basically anywhere that's not how we play, except there. It, it's very well ran. It's consistent as the day is long. I just enjoy it. And the, um, the days are long when you play there. <laughs> yeah. Play so many teams. Like, yeah. It's almost invitation, uh, invitation only. Mm. So like, well, no one. Uh, I mean, the registration's so fierce for it that it almost has to be an invitational thing. It doesn't feel exclusive either. It's just like it's just a normal, you know, situation. It's raising money for for a good cause. Plus, like, <laughs> on the heels of definitely a humbling experience for me and i would i'm i i don't normally speak for other people but i'm just going to say all six of us I went to london the majority of us on the team played also in the sammy for africa tournament it was uh i don't want to say the ego boost but it was the healing we needed to basically validate us as wiffle ball players it was nice not to suck <laughs> at wiffle ball for for a change anyway 
Aiming for Africa was a success, uh, at least in our eyes, once again. Looking forward to next year. Would love to see Field 3. So, Mark, if you're listening, try to make it happen, buddy. If not, then, hey, we'll, it's still we'll, great. we'll go eat some pizza and wait. Uh, maybe maybe do some stretches or something or some lunches in the parking lot. Having gone over that, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to be digging into our plans to bring the league back in 2023. Stay tuned. And we're back. No, really. We are back. We had our most recent, finger quote, season <laughs> in 2018. And I won't lie. It started out strong, but it was a struggle on the administrative level to limp to the finish line. I can only speak for myself, but I have always felt good about how we finished the season and ultimately the league. It was a strong and secure finish with punctuation. It didn't peter out. And it was an ending dignified and befitting this league, and and one that left room for a possible resurrection at a future time. Bryce Clark founded Wild and Wonderful Wiffle Ball in 2019, but it never really took off. It only hosted a couple of tournaments and just really didn't catch on from there. Uh, To my knowledge, no other league has existed in the state since that time. Earlier this year, we worked with a partner to attempt to organize a tournament, but it fell through due to a variety of factors, but namely our chief organizer coming down with COVID-19 in the home stretch before that tournament was going to occur. This tournament was really the first stirrings of any activity from our league since shutting down in 2018. But out of that frustration, the juices began to flow again to get things going. A bit of the band got back together to form a team for London. We know how that turned out poorly. And while there, becoming disgruntled with the fact that for us to play wiffle ball at all, we'll have to play the way that everybody else plays, which is a sobering realization to have when you're accustomed to organizing your own way of playing for over a decade. Greg and I have been playing organized wiffle ball for the entirety of the 21st century, and the HWL is a laboratory of tinkering with formats and self-improvement. So the idea of only being able to play by everyone else's rules, and that's it, is painful to accept, at least for me. Kevin Chatton actually brought up the idea that we should get serious about bringing the league back in some form or fashion while we were in London, and the seed was planted, and, well, here we are. We've been working hard on a format, coming up with rules, proposals, and a plan ever since, and now we're ready to reveal it so we can get the wheels in motion now. For the most part, we're playing the hits here. Nothing really too revolutionary. We've gone through some dramatic format shifts over the years, as you may recall. But we will be largely repeating the popular 2018 medium pitch format with some adjustments. Before we get into a bunch of particulars, let's zoom out to the big picture. It's hard to form and run a team. We're going to take that out of the equation. The guys running the league have elected to captain teams, so there isn't constant need to disseminate information and waste a bunch of time doing that. It's a hive mind. The guys running the league are also running the teams, and vice versa. This is something that should have been done in the past, as it'll drive efficiency. 
Those team captains are as follows. Greg Sowards, and he'll be captaining the Hurricane Locomotives. Myself, Josh Smith, who'll be captaining the Charleston Yellow Sox. Jeremy Ray, who'll be captaining the Polka Great Ant Pearls. And then Kevin Chatton, who'll be captaining the Milton Mudcats. There are a few things you probably noticed with the outline thus far. All the team names include either town or city names, and that is to provide a ball club feel. We're wanting to establish more of a long-lasting franchise feel versus the beer league team names that have been historically a part of the league. Class it up a bit, if you will. Will we ultimately be keeping the league name as Huntington Wiffle Ball League? Time will tell. My dream has always been uh, each team has their own home field, and I know that that's probably a pipe dream, but each team having their own town or city club identity, it's a start, and that's good enough. Uh, another thing you may have noticed is that uh, all these team captains have captain experience. Both Greg and I captained teams in 2012 and 2013, co-captained the Green Bears in 2014, Greg captained with the Wifflin Dixie squad in 2015 to a much better record than any of us ever expected <laughs> before leading Beaver Fever uh, in their revival in 2016, a team with whom he won the championship uh, in 2012 before taking on a supportive role in his last two seasons. I helmed the Make Wiffle Ball Great Again team in 2016 and simply played on teams uh, in a supportive role in my final two seasons as well. Jeremy and Kevin famously played on Sit On My Base beginning in 2014, uh, but the team was captained by Chatton through 2015 before Jeremy took over the team in 2016. So all four of the captains have very qualified resumes and have set up the bones for the teams. But we need players. I've seen so many teams start up full of new players, and the story is always the same, Greg. They struggle, get frustrated, and they don't come back. There's very few that return. That player and or team turnover is not very helpful. It's, it's just not a very productive way to maintain a league. There is a way we hope to curb that. Uh, going for 8 to 10 plus teams is a foolhardy and not productive plan. Aiming to build team depth and develop new players is the way to go. Uh, we invite veteran players to return and join any of the four teams being set up. Roster max is five players right now for the time being. We'll review to raise that ceiling to six potentially if those rosters fill. As far as the season itself, we're leaving behind the tournament format. Uh, it's a lot to set up for, and we end up being there all day. It's just too much. Uh, the return of the season format in 2018 was a success and very popular, but the bi-weekly schedule was also starting to become a grind. So we're looking at potentially a once-a-month schedule, but not completed it yet, so still working out those details. I'd like each team to have a 20-game schedule prior to postseason. I'm thinking four or five-game series against a single opponent each time we meet, like they do in the majors. We've come up with some ways to make games go quickly to keep uh, things from lasting forever, so sit tight. We're still working on the postseason plan as well, but there will be a championship series rather than a race to the finish style that we've had in the past. This will be the first in our league, and we plan on making it a separate day to be able to justifiably hype it up. But qualifying for the playoffs is something we're still working out we're going to take a breath, and when we return, 
we're going to go over the handful of rules changes that will increase the pace of play and decrease the length of games and more when we come back. Huntington Wiffle League zombie that we have reanimated here. It was right there, Greg. Uh, it's it's almost Halloween. Uh, bring it back a league from the dead. I don't see how we didn't see it. Yeah, it's it's probably because I'm blind. Yeah, what what missed opportunity? We're gonna kind of be getting into a little bit of particulars here. I don't want to get too far into the weeds. We may do a, another episode later on in the off season, kind of getting more in depth about the, some of the particulars here, but. More at a glance here, we're going to talk about some of the unique differences uh, that's going to separate this season. The first thing is the pitcher's mound. So we're doing medium pitch. How far away is the pitcher's mound going to be? We haven't quite nailed that down yet. It's either going to be 42 feet or 45 feet. I believe in 2018 we pitched from 45 feet. Now, I may, when I made my rule proposal, which uh, everyone on the, <laughs> on the committee was probably like, Hey, Josh, um, could you please not write a book and send that to us? Because I had like a 10-page proposal. <laughs> uh, for real. I, I, I wish I, I was joking. Yeah, Greg, Greg didn't read it. I was like, well, I'll read it to you, buddy. I, I, I think we pitched from 45 feet in 2018. And, and two things. We were much more <laughs> in shape, in shape just, I want to say. say uh, so, f- so pitching from 45 feet uh, shouldn't have been an issue. It's also when you're pitching from a slower speed from kind of a greater distance... Uh, that it, it can work to your favor when you're throwing junk, but it's also if you're trying to just from the level of physics, it, it can be kind of a, a challenge to to get from point A to point B if you're not using a great deal of force. So sometimes it can be a little weird. Uh, Greg, I believe you actually came up with the idea of like maybe we could pitch from 42 feet. I think any closer would just be it would take crazy. Away, take away the ability to make the ball move. We get that, and it would just be I think even at medium pitch, and like well, we're running the risk of it just becoming fast pitch just because of the distance i mean uh in its own way uh it'd be like fast pitch just for children i guess 42 to 45 feet is something that we're uh we're probably going to do some exhibition games or something in the off season to try to workshop that a bit we probably won't (laughs) we'll probably just i'm pretty sure either decision day one and i'm pretty sure either would be fine you would get more junk from 45 feet but you probably have more control I would 42. say from 42 yes. feet. So it, either way, um, we've have experience from 45 feet, uh, vast experience, but 2014 was, and 2018. But it was fast pitch in mm. 2014. Yeah. Now, one thing I do like about the idea from 42 feet is our base distances are 40 feet, and something that even uh, baseball has been talking and they've been tinkering with, uh, or they did it at one point. I don't know if they're still doing it in the Atlantic League. 
which uh, if, if the listeners aren't aware of, the Atlantic League, uh, they Major League Baseball has a, a partnership with them, and they sort of tinker with weird rules with them. They uh, adjusted the, the the pitcher's mound distance from there uh, in that league, and it made the mound distance almost equidistant with the bases to where it was almost like perfectly center. If we do 42 feet, that would almost be the case for us due to the bases being 40 feet apart. If you That's were- not like the... Sole reason why we do that, that would just be kind of a cool side effect for, if, <laughs> for that. If, if you want, I yeah. can bust out some trigonometry. We yeah. can get it down and we'll have it exactly. I see you out there with a protractor and a compass right now. But I don't know. I, I think that uh, three feet, we, we've seen how big of a difference that can, can make. make in the the <laughs> that could be a world-changing difference for some people. Ask through McClanahan yeah. what three feet means. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, we... we we could expand a great deal on that from from the past, but I, I think uh, on a medium pitch level, it's just a matter of you know a, a flick of the wrist or your front foot placement. It's not not that big of a deal. The batters would probably just have to make some adjustments in, in either case. There, I, I would be interested in either case. I think from the last point I'll make here, from forty five feet, you're giving the batter that much extra room to get a turn see, on it see the ball mm. and we're, we're already giving the batter the advantage of its medium pitch so it's not going to be hurling fastballs in there i'm actually glad you brought up that point because are we giving them a chance to see the ball because the next thing that we're getting into is that the pitchers actually going to have a glove to conceal the pitch selection. Now it's optional. They're still going to be able to see it for a little bit longer. From Shut up, Greg. Two <laughs> feet coming out of the hand, mm. unless you're wearing the glove on the wrong hand, yeah. in which case I don't think you'll throw it very well. Yeah. Well, Hesfield Wiffle Ball League in New York, they, I, I, to my knowledge, have been the only Wiffle Ball League, and I don't think that they do it anymore. Just because the league, first of all, that league doesn't exist. <laughs> Electric City Whiffle uh, is sort of a a cousin to that league, uh, a descendant of it. But uh, R.I.P. Yes, um, Chris, if you're out there and you're listening, buddy, hello. But uh, anyway, uh, when they were still playing in Chris's backyard back in the day, they uh, they would wear Chris at least would would wear a a uh, baseball mitt or glove when he pitched. And to this day, when you look at photographs or even videos of somebody pitching a wiffle ball, maybe I only can speak for myself. It just looks weird, uh, <laughs> especially if they no longer have the ball anymore or the the ball's no longer in the frame. It just is like, it just doesn't look right to me. So, and so I, you're, you're... I, I've spent a lot of time editing wiffle ball you know, player photos. I've made the cards and all these different things. It's it's very difficult. So any any photographers out there that have done any events, at, you know, at uh, wiffle ball tournaments and stuff like that, Emily Greathouse, shout out, uh, or anybody's done any photography at our tournaments and, and things like that for Halloween wiffle and stuff, you're doing a, a phenomenal job if you're able to actually get a good photograph uh, of a pitcher that looks remotely natural because there's just nothing fluid to do with that left hand. It's just there for balance. It's it's very carny looking. Having that glove just looks right. That and having the added benefit of you can kind of hide your pitch selection and everything. With baseball, I mean, you have the stitches and things, and part of that 
kind of goes into how you can manipulate the ball. But with wiffle ball, you know, with a baseball, A, you're further away from the batter. And how those stitches will look, it's kind of harder to pick that out. With a wiffle ball, you can see those holes <laughs> from across the field. It's very obvious what right. you're picking. And the orientation of those holes is going to demonstrate to everybody on the field what you're going to throw along with the trajectory of your arm. The flick of your wrist is sort of secondary to that, but uh, it is definitely a mechanism for that, but it's just basic mechanics and physics when it really comes down to it. Beyond that, it's, it's subtlety of you know drag and what flick of the wrist you're going to do at the last second and then wind and stuff like that and, and the distance and things. But if we can see what how you're holding the ball... <laughs> And then uh, it, it can't be helped how, how you're holding your arm and things like that. But if we know, you know, how your fingers are touching that ball at, at the start and how you're holding that ball, we already kind of have an idea of that. Now, it's a bit inside baseball, admittedly. But having that glove, one, I just think it looks better. Two, <laughs> it, it'll hide the pitch selection. Now, it is optional, but I think it, it'll kind of have an added benefit there to, to kind of hide that pitch selection. I think the pitcher could have some benefit of using it for, for fielding. Some people, they have a much better feel of fielding uh, with a ball just with their bare hands. Some of these pitchers may just prefer to ditch the glove after they've uh, thrown the thrown the pitch. It's it's up to them. Some people may, you know, kind of get back into it. Which is where spring training will help because you'll learn what you want to do before right. the games count. Uh, or if you're, if you're on these teams and you're having some team practices, I would encourage anybody to just kind of get into the, you know, get into the habit of like, okay, well, try to figure that out. What is your preference uh, on that? I plan on using the glove, personally. I've already got a glove. I've been practicing with it. Can I use your glove? That's a personal, personal question, Greg. Moving on to the next thing is base stealing. Which, if you thought the glove thing was weird, strap in. <laughs> One of the longest-lasting traditions in our league is stealing rules from <laughs> leagues that I like. Uh, and the one I've done, the league that I have stolen or have flattered the most, however you want to look at it, is with one Southeast Michigan. To my knowledge, it's the only league that has done this. And uh, here's how the base stealing works. Uh, I don't know if this is 100% how they do this or if this is kind of like our own flavor. Brandon Corbett had kind of explained this, how, and I don't know if they did this just for a year or if it went on for longer. They, they kind of tinkered with stuff too. But anyway, we're going to do it this year. Yeah, I, I'm rambling, but in any event, this is how it works. So you're a runner on a base while a pitcher is sort of in the motion of pitching, but before they've released the ball. You understand? So their foot's on the rubber, they've entered the motion to pitch, and they haven't released the ball yet you must announce out loud so that the pitcher can hear. And your hitter. Yeah, and the hitter. It's very important, and you'll know why. So listen. Steal! So everybody must hear that. And then, like, you can run to the next base if you want, if, you know, you're really into the theater of it. It's not really important or relevant to the situation. After that point, when the pitcher releases the ball, that batter cannot swing. If they do swing, it's an automatic strike, Okay. No matter what happens, they hit the ball, hit a bomb, whatever. It's just a strike. So the objective here is when that pitcher releases the ball, if the ball hits the strike zone, that base runner, the announced steal, will be thrown out. If the ball that was pitched misses the strike zone, 
then that base runner is awarded that base. And then the, the ball strike aspect of it, you know, that's still part of the count. Nothing, change, <laughs> nothing changes with that. Now, if you're the batter and you swing, it doesn't matter if you hit the ball, don't hit the ball, whatever. It's just a strike at that point. The, the base runner point. is out, and you just kind of just screw the base runner there. Also, this is free, we're, it's free will. You know, this isn't an ethics or phys, uh, philosophy class here, but if it's the first pitch of the count and you go steal, you either really have no faith <laughs> uh, in that pitcher or you have forgotten probably our most notorious rule about the first pitch strikeout. So there's a potential for a double play there, which would be amazing in that case there to where it would be the base runner would be thrown out and it would be a backwards K. So please do that. Which goes into our next point of mm-hmm. how we're going to do the format of how many outs per inning. Well, actually, before we do that, one more point on the base stealing thing. Uh, actually, two. You can uh, Teams can only do the base stealing two times per game, and they can only steal second base or third base. So actually, I, I said there's not really any Jackie Robinson thing. You can't steal home which is Jackie Robinson's thing. So <laughs> so you can't steal home. You can steal second or third base. You could do it consecutively, if you like, and go ahead and burn your two steals in a row, if you'd like. But that's that's how it works. I think it'll be cool. Uh, it'll be another metric or stat to keep up with. We might have a Ricky Henderson in our midst. Who knows? But uh, that, that could be a really cool stat. And if you got kind of a, a game where it's just you're in a stalemate, that could that could be the difference between you winning or not. We don't really get a lot of games like that anymore, but that could be the difference between you winning or losing. Greg, you were kind of talking about our next next point there. You want to go ahead and jump in that? So uh, going forward, we're going to play five innings, two outs per inning. It's something we did back in GDWL that kept games moving pretty solidly when we only had like four players. We were playing on a cul-de-sac because it's weird. Uh, We were kids. Long story, yeah. Long, long story. Yeah, not but, worth uh, it too. Yeah. So, if you were really willing to risk it for the biscuit on that one, you could very possibly... Uh, <laughs> risk it for the biscuit? End an inning on trying to steal on the first pitch. Yeah. Because that would be your two outs. Yeah. So... I would love to see that, yeah. Yeah, but, so... Um, yeah, we're really wanting to increase the pace of play, which I think is sort of where you're wanting to get at there. So, like, in, in GDWL, with Garrett Drug with Football League, our first league that we ran from 2002 to 2011, we had three-inning games on two, with two outs on each side. Uh, that was out of necessity. We we played on a cul-de-sac, and there was no fence. So, and there was traffic, and it was very hard to keep your brother and Will's attention for very long. Well, there was an ice cream truck, and, uh, you know, with no fence. There was... Not homers in the conventional sense. You know, I mean, it's just we were young. It, we the ball then. was never not live. We um, run then, so it was much different. Yeah, uh, even so, those games could last for hours with that format. Our present format, before these changes were made, were as you all may know, five innings, three outs on each side, which is thirty outs. The change we have made now is we're just shaving an out off of each side and keeping it five innings. So that's five innings, two outs on each side. But that takes it from 30 outs to two, to 20 outs. But having done that, that's cutting out a third of the outs. That's a third of the game time, potentially, that we're cutting out there. So that's huge. And I don't... I mean, I've edited video and watched game video and stuff like that. I, would, I mean, how long would you say the average game is, probably? For us? For us. I mean, uh, like, 
probably about an hour and 20 minutes. That's long. I mean, I, I'm talking like on average, like from 2012 all the way to, you know, the end here from 2018. If you had to average it. I mean, I, I'd say probably about maybe an hour to an hour or 10. Right. Depending. I mean, because you have to think like the early games normally last longer because we're still setting up. Well, I usually get beat really badly, so my games usually last <laughs> really long. Or they may last shorter because you get mercyed. So, I mean, that really just depends. So, I, I my goal is for the games to be about 40 minutes. I think that's doable. So With this format? With this format, I, I'd say like 30 to 40 minutes because we've got five games we want to play. And that still would be less than the time that you would be at our, some of our tournaments we played and play less games because you're having all this dead time and round robin and seeding and all this nonsense and you don't even get to get to the big dance. This is just five games every time you get to play. You don't, you're not sitting around waiting around. What's best about this is like we'll be able to schedule things consistently and we won't have to be there at the crack of dawn. Right. Uh, with these tournaments, we have to be there at like 8 a.m. and the grass is still wet from the dew or they maybe haven't mowed it, and it's just it's it's kind of a, a pain. So with this, I think we'll be able to get a, a better level of consistency for quality, just overall quality, quality of play, quality of the fields, quality of everything. So I, I think this is the good move here. We may be able to start playing at like 10, 11 o'clock, noon, I don't know, and, and that may be the better way to go about it. I don't think it's a good idea to maybe start playing as late as noon because we're playing the hottest part of the day, but maybe not at so early in the morning that the fields haven't dried out yet playing it with just one less out on each side, you wouldn't think that would have such a big impact, but I think it will. And then I believe you had come up with a proposal for pitcher rotation to come back in a more mild sense than not as aggressive as what it was in 2015 where we're counting innings and all this other stuff and how to bust out the arithmetic. But what can you kind of walk me through that? So our idea for pitching rotation is if you pitch – during the, you know, regular five innings you're going to get mm. during the game in one game. You cannot pitch in the next. Now, extra baseball is just free baseball. So, extra innings, yeah. Yeah, extra innings is just free baseball. It doesn't count towards you not being next. So if I pitch it all in the regular game, one inning or five innings, I can't pitch it all in the regular innings the next game. Exactly. But except, it, unless it's extra innings, unless then it's, it's just whatever. Yes. I can just come and go as I please. Yes. It, it's gonna, or unless I, I once I come out, of course I can't go back in. Like right. Always, yeah. it, it, it's going to even out kind of the stats, I believe, mm. for the end of the year because you, yeah, the superlative awards and all that stuff. So. Yeah, it, I, I just think it'll make it an overall competitive game. I think uh, hopefully that'll increase the possibility of, of some number two or number three pitchers to sort of start surfacing on some of these teams because what always ends up happening is. There will be an ace, which it's it's medium pitch, so it's like I'm saying the word ace loosely here. Certainly your most talented pitcher, but it's not like they're not overbearing with speed and all this stuff. They're not killing with force. They're dazzling you with 12-6 curves and sliders and things like that. Impressive, nonetheless. You'll get to see a lot more variety. But the thing is, it's like our, our goal is to grow and develop new players existing players that are not known for certain things. Anthony Stidham is a fine example. You know, his pitching performance at the 2016 regional NWLA uh, tournament. He stomped up, you know, up and down on the sidelines going like, I can pitch. And then when he finally got his chance to pitch, he like closed out <laughs> Cincinnati team in three innings or something like that. I don't remember the stats. I don't have them in front of me, but he did very well. That That's a, a fine example of like, and that's all I got to do. Yeah, it's like, let's give 
But, you know, let's give people the opportunity to get the ball to develop them. I mean, they may crash and burn, but how are they going to develop if they don't get that ball to get a chance? You know what yeah, I mean? It, so it just it helps with future growth. You can either have someone pitch 100 innings, which is literally a possibility if we didn't have pitching rotation rules this year, or let somebody pitch like 20 innings or something. I don't know. Just a thought. And then kind of something that's not really that urgent but some of the awards and stuff the main thing is just something we did in the old league player of the month something that we'll be kind of voting on during the year on a poll is something that will be coming they do it in the majors actually it's a player poll uh, that they do is a player of the month and that'll kind of help us with season mvp we may do mvp like for pitcher and then hitter it's always kind of hard to pick uh between the two of them like well who you know because <laughs> it's just such a different i uh, think we have no we always kind of have this Shohei Otani thing going on. It's like some people are good at both, and some people are excellent at one or the other. How do you pick like what's more important? What makes them an MVP? What makes the best hitter better than the best pitcher? If if we don't have them, it's one and the same. You know what I mean? So yeah, or, or which which one does both well? Yeah, that it just gives us a chance that sometimes someone has like a really good month, and then they sneak up the joint the rest of the year. Or... <laughs> right. It's just something to kind of chat about during the year. I thought it would be kind of cool just to mention it uh, at this point. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to that thing. It was something we really had a lot of fun with in the old league. And that could be kind of something to, to kind of help us navigate. Because season MVP was just always such a nightmare to, to select every year. Because I was just like, I don't know, man. Because it was normally like, I don't know who won the most awards. Probably going to be that person. They seem to be pretty good, I would say. So there, there's got to be more of a quality control over that i think but it's mainly just like hey you had a good month man anyway that that is sort of at a glance the basics here we're probably going to do another episode in, in a month or so i would say maybe a thanksgiving episode what i what am i thankful for we're coming back from the dead kind of go more in depth on it and if anybody has any questions uh kind of send us messages and stuff we might be able to go in, yeah, in depth about anything else yeah feedback and appreciated yeah so again, the, the the teams that have been propped up here, we have the Charleston Yellow Sox, which is being run by yours truly, the Hurricane Locomotives, uh, which is being run by Greg, the Polka Great Ant Pearls. I would explain what that is, but uh, it's just not worth it. Uh, <laughs> which is being run by Jeremy Ray, and then the Milton Mudcats, which is being run by Kevin Chatton. Jeremy, from what I understand, he is already well uh, on the way to recruiting that team. I have already got Anthony Stidham uh, on my team. Greg, have you got anybody committed on your team yet? Or I, I have a few fillers out there. A few feelers. Uh, a few. So you've been molesting people. Have you signed anybody to your team? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. So you're, got, you're just I've you're just contracts. going out there and committing sexual harassment, and yes, you're really making a lot of use of your time. Okay. You probably should. Be more productive about <laughs> building your team. So uh, any any players out there uh, that are wanting to play, hit us up. Let us know so we can get you on the team. Max roster size is five players for the time being. Once those max out, we'll look at maybe bumping those up to six. Again, we're not looking to accept any new whole teams at this time because we're aiming for quality, not quantity. We done been there and done that. And we saw where, <laughs> where that got us. So we're really wanting to create parity, like Greg said, and, and work on developing players. And new players may come, and we can uh, throw you on a team to sort of develop you. 
and, and go from there. Uh, but we're really wanting to see some of these return players, so we'd love to, to get you on the teams and uh, come back. So we don't have a opening day date set yet, but it is probably going to be in April sometime. We're looking to have spring training, uh, a couple of sessions in March at some point, which famously the weather is not typically very cooperative <laughs> here so i would encourage to tell. i would encourage any teams to try to have practice sessions in the fall here whenever possible to try to get your teams together get some get some strike zones uh, get some bats try to stay warm if you find an indoor facility to play holler at your boy let me know i want <laughs> so i can stay warm myself too pitchers and strike zones will be reporting for spring training in huntington sometime in march date to be announced. Greg, that was everything that I can think of that without at the risk of boring anybody. Anything else you can think of that I didn't mention? No, not really. All right, excellent. Well, it's good to be back and not be talking about the institution that's part of our league that I did not mention during this episode and will not. You know what I mean? <laughs> to actually talk about some actual stuff to do with the league and news things happening. You know, I'm just going to talk about it anyway. Hall of Fame. <laughs> Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. We get some of these players to come back that uh, haven't made the ballot or haven't made it into the Hall of Fame and are kind of on the bubble with their stats. Looking at you, Ronnie Canterbury, Rick Patterson, other guys like that. Not only do I just want to see you and hang out with you and play ball with you, but I want to see some stat padding happening here. Make a case. Get, get another good season in there so that the case can be made to get get your ass on the ballot and, and get you in the hall. So this will be a good year to kind of get that in there. Plus, just get back in the saddle. So, but that's everything. Once again, Greg, anything else left on the table? No, nothing at all. Nothing else detains us. Thanks for your time, and thanks for your patience. I know it's been a long four years, but... I'm really excited for what, nec what next year is going to bring. You can hit us up at HuntingtonWiffle at gmail.com. We did get the website back up. Uh, it's never went away, but we got it. We got the shortcut again. It's uh, HuntingtonWiffleBall.com. That'll, that'll have some info on it shortly. We're also on Facebook uh, and Twitter, mainly Facebook. Any questions or anything, you can message us on the Facebook or HuntingtonWiffle at gmail.com if you're interested in finding yourself on a roster. That is all the news we have to share for today. Until next time, I've been your host, Josh Smith, signing off for Greg Sowards. We will talk to you next time. Two trailer park girls go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Shady, this is what I'll give you. A little bit.